welcome to Jumpstart Your Joy, a podcast that looks at the inspiration, intention, action, and choices that you can make to bring more joy into your life, into the world, and into other people's lives. This is your host, Paula Jenkins. Welcome to Jumpstart Your Joy and episode 228. On this week's show, I am so excited to be joined by psychiatric nurse, life coach, and intuitive eating specialist, Molly Larkin. Molly was on the show way back in season one for episode 10, and we talked a lot about Byron Katie and her amazing work. And it is such a treat to have her back as we round out January, which is all about planning your year. And she is here to talk about intuitive eating, which is a fascinating topic. And I really wanted to cover it in January because so many of us set resolutions and goals around body size and weight in this month for the year. Intuitive eating is a totally different way of thinking about body size and how you eat instead of focusing on restriction and obsessing over calories, which really buy into the diet culture that we have been raised in in the Western world. I really love that intuitive eating instead focuses on the positive and is affirming and it embraces bodies of all sizes to reach a healthy weight that then you can maintain in a way that makes sense for you. And so I cannot wait for Molly to join us in just a little bit. Before we get there, I want to wish you a very warm welcome and say thank you so much for tuning in to Jumpstart Your Joy this week. And always, it is an absolute treat to get to be with you guys each week, twice a week now on Tuesdays and Thursdays. These Tuesday episodes are usually a little bit longer and they have a guest or they're a solo show where we dive in deep to the topic that we're addressing. For January, of course, it's been the plan your year month. And so we've talked about different kinds of plannings and foundations that you can set for the year 2020 or any year. And then on Thursdays, I come on back to you guys and talk a little bit about the aha moments or just the moments of sheer amazement that I have around the guest. And I share the inspiration, intention, and actionable steps that you can take to bring more joy into your life based on that discussion. So if you want to get on the newsletter where you will get all that information automatically sent to you every Thursday, go to jumpstartyourjoy.com. And right there in the middle of the homepage, you'll see the join the newsletter link and you'll want to sign up right there. While you're at the website, you can also find show notes for each and every episode. You can also check the whole back catalog of the 227 other episodes that are out there for your listening enjoyment. This episode you can find at jumpstartyourjoy.com forward slash Molly Larkin. And you'll go right to the page that has all the information with the links that we talk about. It is really such a treat to have Molly on the show this week. I know you guys are just going to love her. I met her about five years ago when we were part of the same life coach training program. And really, Molly is such a breath of fresh air. Having had her own history with disordered eating, Molly fully understands the body shaming and self-hatred, along with the obsession that can come up when you have grown up in this Western society. She has also seen that through self-acceptance and attuning to what you really want and really need, you can reach a happy and healthy balance for yourself. 
Intuitive eating, which is basically eating when you're hungry and trusting that you will know what to eat and when you want to eat it, has helped her on her own path. And she now supports other people as they begin to choose what's right for them and do something different than what the dieting culture we are in says is right. So the heart of all of this, of course, is a system of self-care and a balanced relationship with food. And I just love what she has to say so much. So welcome to the show, Molly. Yay. Hi. Hey, how are you? I'm great. And I'm glad to be here with you too. It's been a while. Uh, It really has been a little too long. Last time you talked, I know we talked about Byron Katie quite a bit and it was actually one of the very most downloaded episodes. Oh, that's cool. I didn't know that. Yeah. Yeah. So um, I know you've been doing a lot of work around intuitive eating and January is all about kind of on the show at least, laying the foundation for your year. So I don't know if that's a place that maybe we could spend some time about what is intuitive eating? How do I do it? Yeah, it's a great giant question. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) (laughs) And I, I do love talking about this, particularly towards the beginning of the year when people are, you know, have making diets and lifestyle changes, healthy habits, all that stuff, top of mind. Yeah. Um, And so intuitive eating, broadly speaking, is kind of a system of self-care to help folks make peace with food and their bodies and move into a relationship with food that is body-led and attuned, meaning um, coming from the inside Mm -hmm. uh, out, as opposed to you know, following a plan or a structure um, that's, you know, outside in. Right. Right. Well, and so I'm, I'm guessing that in part means that it's not so much the watching of what I'm, the intake and the calorie counting that comes along with so many weight loss programs. It's more about getting in touch with who you are and what your body says it wants. Yeah. It is about that. And it's a weight neutral approach. So that means that when weight is concerned, you know, we trust the body to take care of, of the weight. And generally people's weight settles in the range that's appropriate for that individual. Once the relationship with food settles and that's takes the time and the support, but it's, it's relying again on the person to both discern and respond to the the internal cues of say something as simple as hunger and fullness sounds simple if we come from a, a lifetime of um, dieting it's not that simple right? right but to help people start to tune in again and respond to what they find when they tune in right so my brain is like oh how do we do that mm-hmm. <laughs> probably because I'm very like it's almost like uh, yeah, that sounds awesome, but how do I do it? Because I think what there's two pieces at least there in play culturally, the way that clearly I and many people listening have been taught is that you control what goes in, you make sure you exercise, and that's how I get to a weight that is on a unfortunately probably on a chart that says how much I should weigh. But that, I mean, I think we all know kind of the heartache that's involved with that. So how do I, it's probably a a psychological process at first that I have to be okay with who I am. 
Yeah, it's a great question. Like, how is it done? And I think what you just brought up is, is a huge part of the starting point, which is we have to look first at what we've been doing mm-hmm. and how it has or hasn't been serving us. Right. So there's mountains of scientific evidence, and I'm happy to provide resources toward that end that show that dieting or controlled eating, like for the purposes of weight loss, is not a sustainable intervention. That it works, quote unquote, <laughs> you know, it works in that we, we all know you can go on a diet and you can lose weight. And, but that ultimately the body will defend what tends to be referred to as its set point range, like the kind of the comfortable range that genetics determine mostly. There's other factors that go into it, but largely it's our genetics that determine our, our ideal body size, right? Not a chart on the wall in a doctor's office. Right. Yeah. And so first it's a matter of kind of looking back and seeing, you know, what have I been doing and how has it been working? Cause a lot of times people will come to me and they'll be like, well, the thing is when I did keto or when I did Weight Watchers or when I did paleo, it really, really worked for me. And I'll say, cool, let's talk about what you mean by that. Because obviously you're sitting here with me. So, so there's something that what didn't work, right? Right. Yeah. But it can be really confusing because our experience is in the beginning, it does seem to work. And then when we can't stick to the plan or when our weight creeps back in or when life intervenes or when we start kind of like binging on donuts in the break room, right? Mm -hmm. We tend to blame ourselves for not sticking with the, the intervention that quote unquote works rather than looking and seeing like, actually it's kind of a setup from the start trying to control and manipulate our food. Right. And it's kind of a loaded thing of any diet is if I just follow this, it's a very transactional thing. Then I will get that, <laughs> which right. I mean, it doesn't always mean that it's true because I know I have a lot of limitations. I don't do well at all with gluten, probably to the point that I probably am celiac. And <laughs> I think there's something interesting there that maybe there's a little nugget of, of truth and kind of about this t- attuned eating thing is people will ask me, well, how do you stay away from wheat? And it's like, well, I know my body hates it so much that it's actually very easy to stay away. Like, it makes no sense at all for me to dive into that because it hurts my entire system so much. Right. So I don't, what is the... So the difference there, Paula, is that you're talking about a process of attunement you've noticed probably through repeated experimentation. Oh, yes. Right? I eat gluten. I feel miserable. Yeah. Right. And so it becomes just kind of like, okay, well, I don't eat gluten. I don't put my hand on a hot stove. Exactly. It is exactly the same thing. Yes. Now that's very different than someone saying to you, Paula, you can't eat gluten ever again because I said so. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. What that does is it leads to us like abstaining from gluten, right? And we're abstaining from gluten and we're really doing great and we're feeling awesome and in control, you know, and then I don't know, we end up after a really rushed day, we're at a friend's house and all they have is pizza and yes. we eat it and we're You're like, like oh, yum. crap, I broke the gluten thing. Yeah. And then we figure, well, as long as I broke it, I might as well like eat all the things I've been missing. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Right. And, and then we set up this like on the wagon, off the wagon thing. Yes. Intuitive eating is about like, let's just get rid of the wagon and yeah. find out what actually works for my body. 
Right. Yeah. Well, and so maybe, I mean, for my own experience, the celiac thing is pretty similar because I know that's not going to work. And it's a very extreme response. But how do other people figure it out? We talked, and we can use me as an example, at 47, I'm at menopause. I mean, that's diagnosed. <laughs> not, a, I think. And I see carbs are not probably my best friend anymore. But like, is there something in there about how can I attune to what the thing is so that I know what I can eat mm-hmm. or what yes. I, what's so, good for me? Mm-hmm. And when you say like, so I'm, I'm in menopause, so I know carbs are not my best friend. Where are you getting that information? Body, body cues, I would say. Like, I feel kind of bloated and not like very lively. <laughs> like mm-hmm. I wouldn't say it's exactly a brain fog, but something like that. Yep. And kind of like then I could see myself just eating more of that because it feels, uh, you know, there's kind of a heaviness to it. And I don't mean that from a body perspective. I just mean like I'm feeding something, but it doesn't feel good to me. I guess. Yeah. So you're not feeling satisfied. Thank you. Yes. When you eat particular combinations of foods that maybe are higher in carbohydrates. Yeah. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. And I'm imagining, and if I was working with you as a client, you know, we would kind of zoom out and we would say, okay, does this happen? Like when you eat, like, you know, for example, like when you eat gluten-free pasta, right. With just olive oil and cheese or something, do you yeah. feel kind of sluggy? Okay. What happens if you eat that and you add some protein? Does that feel different? Right. That okay. Question. Because often it's the combination of things. We, we love to like demonize a food group. You know, at one point it was fat. You remember your, your, your oh, yes. demographic, right? Remember when we like weren't supposed to eat fat and everybody was like all about pasta and bagels. Yes. Like that was really healthy eating at the time. Right. Right. Now we are, we love to hate on carbs, right? Carbs are not the enemy. Carbs are awesome and they keep our brains fueled and they keep us feeling great. Right. And satisfied, but they need to be balanced with like all the other food groups. And different individuals are going to respond differently to different combinations of food. So when we, and this is a huge uh, when we, when we quiet all the external noise of like what we should be eating and what's good and what's bad, and we give ourselves permission to enjoy all foods that we're not allergic to. Mm we will start the process of discerning like what works for my body. And it becomes this very gentle process of like, okay, I just ate that food. Would I choose to feel the way I feel again? Like, did that, did that work for me? Did it mm. not work for me? So whereas diets are like pass fail, like I'm, I'm, I'm yeah. doing good, I'm not doing good. This is more of a process of experimentation and learning. Yeah, I'm getting the sense that there's probably somebody out there going, but oh my gosh, what if I gain weight or I can't keep my, like, do you see people start to panic a little when you're suggesting that they learn to trust themselves and experiment and kind of let go of this external measurement that we've all been taught is the air quotes here way to do it. Yes, absolutely. I mean, almost without exception. Yeah. And you know, I, I'm coming at this from my own experience. Sure. Yeah. And there was nobody more panicked than me about this whole process. You know, I had a, a full-blown eating disorder for over a decade with bulimia and binge eating and just really feeling 
just insane around food mm-hmm. for this thing from trusting my body. So the idea of letting go of weight as the primary metric for me yeah. was like, I guess the best way to say it is I would never have done it if the cost of doing things the way I was doing it wasn't so high. Right. So generally by the time people get to me, they are just kind of out of ideas. And that's kind of an awesome, awesome, awesome place to be, even though it feels terrifying, miserable, sure. but that's the place of kind of openness that is required to drop what we've known. You know, we're kind of like often holding on to something familiar, even if it's really not working and making us miserable. But I mean, you know, this is true. And so in just about any process of significant change, yeah, we have to be really convinced that our way isn't going to work. And it's probably not going to work the next five times we try it before we're going to let it go and step into the unknown. Right. And it's so vastly vulnerable to say, this has not been working for me and I'm going to have to try. That's definitely how the food thing came for me was, I can't keep being sick. I don't know what this is, but I just cannot keep being sick. Yeah. And to the point, interestingly enough, too, that I was like, I'm going to take this all the way back to chicken and rice and eat it for a week and see what happens. Yeah. And was it fun? No. (laughs) But I also was like literally honestly afraid that I might not be able to go into, at the time, a nine to five job anymore because I was- You were so sick. I was often so sick that I was, yeah, it was not good. (laughs) Yeah. So I can totally relate to that. People come to me and they are, they are panicked at the idea of trying intuitive eating, especially because of the weight gain, because look, that's what generally sets us on this whole disordered pattern to begin with is that we are pursuing what we we're trying to be good citizens. We're trying to be healthy. You know, we're trying to, to lose weight, right? Mm -hmm. So if weight wasn't a concern, people wouldn't be so freaked out about trying intuitive eating. and. So people are freaked out about the prospect of letting go of their rules. And it's something that happens gradually. We do a lot of scaffolding. I, I feel like a lot of people, they try intuitive eating by reading a book or you know listening to a podcast and they give it a shot. And what they hear is, I can eat anything I want. And that's beautiful. And that is part of intuitive eating. And then they go out and they eat three pints of ice cream and they feel totally freaked out right? And they're like, that didn't work for me. Works for other people. I need a plan, right? So so that's why I say that really intuitive eating is a process that that for most people requires a lot more support and scaffolding Mm -hmm. because everybody's ambivalent, Right. right? About letting go of the known paradigm, Yeah, which while it may be profoundly disordered, is also extremely culturally enforced. So people have huge amounts of ambivalence. And part of my work is to make a lot of space for that and say like, you know, just said to a client before that I was talking to before this, like, okay, um, I'm going to ask you to do this anyway. And I'm going to ask you to be uncomfortable, but not unsafe. So you let me know if you're feeling unsafe, right? Mm-hmm. So the process, you know, I help people to stay safe, but it is way outside people's comfort zone. Right. Yeah. And I'm, I can only imagine that one of the hard things is, is that as you start trying on a different way of eating, 
you're also still hearing all the reinforced messaging absolutely everywhere around you. I mean, I'm thinking even like, especially this time of year, Yes. Ads. I mean, Oprah, who we love, is out there telling us to try Weight Watchers. I know. I wish she would call me and we could talk (laughs) about this. I keep waiting. Oh, it's such a bummer to me. Oh, it's such a bummer to me. Yeah. I just realized, I just put those two things together because so many of us look up to her for things like ideas and And yet here she is kind of reinforcing something. And maybe that's what works for her. So no judgment, really. It sounds like a a support network or a coach or friends or something is probably really helpful as you kind of open this new space and you're navigating a big transition or transformation of sorts. Yes, that's huge and and probably like priority number one. Um, Because as you said, we live in a culture that is diet culture. Yeah, there's lots of ways that we can inoculate ourselves against that and build up our kind of emotional immune system, right? Because mm-hmm. now I see stuff like that, like you know Oprah doing that, and I'm just like, oh come on, Oprah, like hold on, like she's she's missing she's missing something there, like and of course I don't I don't feel judgment about that, but I also don't feel affected personally. But for a long time, I really had to keep myself away from any kind of diet messaging to the best of my ability, right? And so yeah. there is a time for just being really careful, like. I help clients kind of curate their social media feeds and things like that. But because we can't completely insulate ourselves from diet culture, it's the predominant culture. What's really useful is to begin to recognize it for what it is because it morphs and changes so much. I mean, even Weight Watchers isn't Weight Watchers anymore, right? Right. Yeah. People are hip to the fact that diets really don't work. And so now we talk about lifestyle, but a diet by any other name is a diet. Right. And so it has the same predictable outcome. So there's 10 principles in intuitive eating, which is not a system that I adhere to strictly, but I find it really useful when we're talking about these things. And the first one is reject the diet mentality. And so that's where we begin. That's kind of the foundation of intuitive eating. And first, we need to learn to spot it. The thing, like a lot of people know that dieting doesn't work, but what a lot of people don't know is that actually dieting is a wonderful predictor of weight gain. Really? Oh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I guess, I mean <laughs> if I think on my own pattern, and if you looked at my Apple measurements, <laughs> you would yep. see that, yes, every time I've gone to try, and, and I have lost weight, then yep. it always comes back. <laughs> it's just plus. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Each year, even if it's just a pound or two. Right, right. So, <laughs> so you know, my my clients are like, they have willpower up the wazoo because they sure. have been like, like, I mean, nobody's got more willpower than a chronic dieter. Yeah. Like it takes enormous amounts of willpower. But what's amazing is that dieting drives our me- metabolism down and it does this actually very quickly. And then it drives our hunger up and the hormone that signals satisfaction also goes down. Wow. So our bodies are just smarter than we are. They don't know the difference between a diet or a lifestyle plan mm-hmm. and a famine. Right. Right. And they are, I mean, what's more dangerous to human evolution than, than food scarcity? Few things. Yeah. Right. And so they're going to do everything they can to help us be resilient in the face of that. So as soon as they start getting more calories, guess what they're going to do? They're going to store some extra against the threat of future famine. 
because it keeps happening. You look at it, it as, happening. The, as the proof point from a body. It's like, well, this does keep happening because yeah. if someone's not on my wavelength, we're dieting. So we do keep doing it to ourselves. Yeah. Oh, wow. Crazy. Exactly. So How interesting. actually a lot of times, you know, people have so much judgment around body size and we live in a culture that is extremely fat phobic. Yeah. But a lot of times we're looking at somebody in a larger body and that person has been doing everything that they've been told by their doctors, their families, the culture at large to lose weight. Mm-hmm. And it has resulted in them actually being in a larger body than they would have otherwise. And that along with, I mean, there's lots, there's lots more examples like that can provide some inoculation when we see the next, like, you know, what's big now is like keto, right? Or intermittent fasting. Yes, that is getting a lot of attention. Like, you know, it's like, I'll tell you what intermittent fasting is. It's called like have dinner, go to sleep. And then when you're hungry, have breakfast. Like that's intermittent fasting. It's natural. It's built in. We don't have to manipulate. Some of the the forums or the things that I see around intermittent fasting around people who are perimenopausal, menopausal, like they say that's really good for that age group. But yeah, it is interesting that then that's just the suggestion that you don't eat overnight. I'll raise my hand and admit that, yes, I love a good tortilla chip around midnight, which is probably not as helpful as it could be. But you're right. Like that idea is really basic kind of a biological function. We don't eat while we're sleeping. We don't eat while we're sleeping. And if we notice like, like as long as our bodies are getting a wide variety of foods and we're responding to our hunger and we're learning, we're honoring our sensations of fullness and satisfaction, we'll naturally have space between our meals. Yeah. Right? Quite natural. That's actually what feels best to most people. There's some people who like to eat little bits throughout the day and that works for some people. But I'd say by and large, most people have a pattern of eating, you know, when they feel, when they're feeling their best, that includes breaks, times for rest and digestion, and that we don't need to mess with that too much. And again, that's not to say that some people won't find like, oh, you know, I, I feel better when I eat breakfast around noon. Like, I don't care. Like, I'm not opposed to that. What I think is problematic is when people are taking a system from outside and making it something that they can do right or get wrong, because that creates a lot of kind of rebound effects that don't lead to a fuller health or, or fuller life. And in fact, do the opposite because there's nothing more kind of life shrinking and to make us like more myopic than becoming obsessed with food and our bodies. And that's the result of what happens when we restrict. Right. I'm thinking of when you're out on vacation or whatever, it, it times that I've in fact been on a diet, then it does change. Like, what can I, oh, I can't eat there. They don't have a salad. But instead, there's probably something I could eat there and would enjoy. Right. <laughs> and if I'm not like putting this up against the checks and balances, then it changes my true enjoyment of the time and the space and, and the people. That I I'm can't tell you with. like how often clients say to me, like, I had no idea that I would just become more present in my life. Yeah. Right. Like just so much more available. Like you're out to lunch with friends and you're not freaking out. Like, should I eat that? Should I, oh my God, I'm eating French fries. Oh my God. Oh my God. Okay. I'm going to have to not eat dinner or I'm going to eat this other thing for dinner. There's a huge amount of mental static when we're preoccupied with food in our bodies. And what happens, you know, over time with support through the process of intuitive eating is that that noise just quiets down and food takes its rightful place, which is like, 
food is super pleasurable. It's a source of nourishment. It's something we get to enjoy every day, but that's it. It doesn't have magical powers. I like that. (laughs) You know, and it's not, it's not here to determine like whether we're good or bad or, you know, succeeding or failing at life. I could see the the ties through too, even with our discussion about Byron Katie is like, like, I feel like a lot of this is around that question of who would you be without that thought? Like, yes, if we let go of these things that culture is putting on food and that we're believing, um, and I'll link up to our past conversation if a listener is not familiar with Byron Katie, but if we can let go of the idea that like I am good or bad based on what I eat or what size I am. Oh, that's why I was just like, kind of like, I was just basking in that for a second. It's so it's refreshing. enormous. Yeah. In fact, it's so much freedom, especially for folks who have like, you know, like for me and for a lot of the clients that I work with, this has been kind of their primary identity. Yeah. And so when we, when they really experience some of that space, it can be really disorienting. Actually, I was just talking with, with a client about this the other day because she's seeing her fixation with food and her obsession with her body is falling away. And she's actually like, whoa, hold on a second. Like, this is weird. This is not that comfortable. Yeah. Who am I without this? So, so that's another piece of the work that I, is my most favorite piece of the work because that's mm-hmm. when it's like, oh, this becomes a doorway into like just everything, you know, I mean, this is, that's where it becomes, you know, you might use the word spiritual work or yeah, because we're really looking at questions of like, who am I really? Right. You know, especially when an identity may have been based on an external. Oh, and it's going totally meta. Like (laughs) it's totally based on the external thing instead of the internal. That's it. Ugh. yeah, that's it. Yes. And we disconnect from the internal, like we have to, in order to be continually, you know, sticking with uh, a diet. And again, it's amazing how, as we start to tune into our preferences, I have people who think that they love, say donuts. It turns Mm -hmm. out they actually don't even really like donuts that much. Right. Or they like a particular, very specific kind of donut. Right. Mm -hmm. And as we tune into our, our preferences, and our appetites, like like hunger, satisfaction, amazingly, we start to become kind of more attuned, more intuitive in other areas of our life. Mm-hmm. It's never just about the food. And I often say, like, if it was, I would like not be so engaged with this work. I would be kind of like done with it, be bored by now. Right. But yeah. the food is just the doorway that we walk through. And that settles down and it settles down. I mean, it depends on the person, but it, it often settles down fairly quickly. And then we're looking at these larger questions. I can see too, then that's how where kind of this, your background of psychiatric nurse and life coach really comes into play. Yeah. Once someone has released that external identification of being whatever it is that they're identifying with as the body size or a dieter or whatever comes in with that, but then who are they? And you're right. Like it's so prevalent that I'm sure there are people that this has been their identity since, I mean, even as a child, someone told them this is what your body size looks like. And then that triggered an entire set of responses for years. Actually generally true. Mm -hmm. And, and that again is what is so heartbreaking is that people are they, you know, they begin, maybe they would naturally be in a larger body because PS, like 
bodies come in a range of shapes and sizes, like yes. contrary to what, what we see, but maybe someone would naturally be in a larger body and they start being put on weight loss diets when they're very young, often prepubescent. Yeah. And what that does is again, it triggers that response to drive the set point weight up. Yeah. And so they end up in a larger body, maybe even than nature originally intended, which is fine. It's some, but it's something that people have to do a huge amount of work to make peace with. But I find that people really, what they really, really want is to feel at home in their body. Yeah. To feel like they can trust their body, like they can, they can tune in and they can discern information from their body. Like they feel nourished in their body and like their body is not constantly in flux, right? Mm-hmm. Their body's kind of settled, you yeah. know, and that is kind of the fruit of this work. Like, like I can't predict where someone's weight is going to land. Some people lose weight. Some people stay the same and some people do gain weight, right? Yeah. But it's very reassuring to land in a body that feels like it's kind of where it wants to be. Yeah. And feels like home probably. That's it. Once yeah. you arrive at that place. Yeah. And, and again, it's ongoing work because, because the messages are so loud in this culture and especially for people in larger bodies. And, you know, I naturally, my weight settles in a thinner body type. And so, you know, I, I recognize that I have that thin privilege that kind of allows me to navigate the world without getting a lot of feedback about my body. Now, my clients who are naturally in larger bodies, they have an added layer of, of work to do, of, of inquiry there. Mm-hmm. But I have seen people move into far greater degrees of health and well-being and just sense of at-homeness. And what's so cool too is that I find that people just are less inclined to take shit once they really like claim their space, like their yeah. actual body space. So. It's just like endlessly fascinating to me. Ooh, there's so much goodness in all of this. It's and it's such a great place to start and and look at how you could lay a foundation. Hopefully, I mean, what I'm gathering here is for a different way of thinking about how you are living and breathing and being in your own body That's for it. the year. Even if it's just a small change, like that could be a really healthy direction to go instead of looking at a chart and thinking, oh, I've got to get back to that. (laughs) Right. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And you know, there's a couple of things you said, like that thing we do where we are like, I have to get back to that Yeah. or that thing that we do where we're tracking. And what that does is it, you know, by definition, it takes us away from what's here now, right? If we're trying to get aim at a certain number or we're trying to, you know, get to a certain place, like we're not present and making decisions that feel like suited to the present moment. And so again, this is a practice that does involve a lot of mindfulness and coming back, like anchoring here. And there's nothing wrong with having goals or health goals or, you know, like wanting to make changes, but we always and only can operate from right here. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and we are constantly, if we're looking at a number both on a scale and on a chart that we want to be to, then that pulls us from being present. It's so interesting too that it then pulls through like I can't fully be present just in this moment and enjoy this bite of food because I'm worried. And like it just keeps pulling you out of the present moment. Yeah. And guess yeah. what? That makes that really disrupts satisfaction. Of course. Yeah. You know, if we're eating something delicious, 
but we're feeling guilt and like, oh God, I shouldn't be eating this. And I'm going to have to make up for this later. And I'm going to have to do more at the treadmill or whatever. We're not there to like experience that delicious thing and actually just feel like, gosh, I'm satisfied. Yeah. People are amazed when they're like, gosh, I was eating this thing. Like say pizza or something like that's off limits, you know, before. Mm -hmm. And all of a sudden I just felt like, wow, that was so good. And I'm done. Yeah. Like that's like a revelation for people. And it was for me too. I thought, I thought I was bottomless. Well, and the magic of like tasting something and just marveling at that flavor or like, or the way that it feels in your mouth, like, mm-hmm. like the sensual delight of food <laughs> like, yeah, and being able to be in that present moment is so crazy good. And food is made to be pleasurable. It's made to be rewarding. I think we've done a lot of like pathologizing that we love food and we enjoy food, you know, like it's addictive, it's this, it's that. And, and actually, no, it's just, just like, like connection, laughter, sex, music, all those things are intended to, you know, be pleasurable and even light up the pleasure centers in our brain, all that stuff, right? Food is like that too. It's meant to be something that we really enjoy. And to get back to that, I mean, I'm thinking about even times when I've like experienced dessert that would have wheat in it, but now does not. And just the total delight of being like, how did they do that? Like, and it's probably something similar to someone who has not allowed themselves to have something for a long time of just like, just living in that bite. (laughs) Right. Like, oh my God, I can't believe this is so amazingly delicious. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and we associate that, like when we take the guilt out of that and we're actually paying attention to our bodies, it's like the satisfaction that comes from that. Like we've all had that experience of eating a beautiful meal Mm -hmm. and just walking away so satisfied, like on every level. Yeah. Yeah. And that's what kind of, that's what we aim for in intuitive eating. And of course, like we miss the mark constantly because that's life. Right. (laughs) Most of our eating experiences should feel really satisfying. I love that. Well, so if somebody is listening and they they want more information or would like to see where they can find you, what kind of work are you doing and where might they they locate you? Yeah, so I I've been working primarily online for the last several years and you can find me on my internet home. It's www.mollyklarkin.com. I do online groups. I do a 12-week group called Waging Peace. It's a an intuitive eating introductory course. I have one running right now. If you want to sign up for the next one, you can go and fill out an application. I also do one-on-one coaching online with folks. I work in 12-week packages because I find that 12 weeks is about the amount of time it takes to like get your feet under you in this work. And then I, with my husband, I just opened a private practice here in Rochester, New York, where I live. So if anybody happens to be in the Rochester, New York area, I am seeing folks in person as well. Awesome. And I will link up to that in the show notes. What are three ways that you can think of to jumpstart joy in your life, in the world, or in other people's lives? Oh, I love that. Three ways that I can think of. Tell the truth. And I mean that like just like beginning with yourself and then maybe with someone to, to someone that you trust. Show up. And kind of drop your expectations of what things should be like. In other words, just like come to the present moment and be grateful. I love it. Thank you very much. And thanks so much for being on again, Molly. It's such a treat to get to talk to you. Ditto. Thank you so much, Paula. 
Thank you so much for tuning in this week. If you want to find out more about this episode, including links to the things that we've talked about, you can find the show notes at jumpstartyourjoy.com. And you can search for this episode right up there in the right-hand corner of the website. You'll find it. While you're on the website, I know you're going to want to sign up for my weekly newsletter, which is Three Joyful Things. It's where I take a look and give you guys the behind the scenes of what I'm really thinking about with each episode, including the inspiration, intention, and action, along with the choices that you can make in your own life to bring some of the things that each guest or I share into your everyday life. So it's a lot of fun. You can find the sign up for that off the homepage or within the show notes of every episode. And I would love to connect with you. I hang out a ton on Instagram where my handle is jumpstartyourjoy. You can also find the Facebook page for this podcast at jumpstartyourjoy. So I hope you guys will come on back next week. And until then, I hope that your days are filled with so much joy.